Hey Church of the Beloved, my name is Kevin Zo and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Just wanted to say a quick thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. This week's message is brought to us by our interim senior pastor, Abe Lee. He is preaching from Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 38. So uh, we've been doing this sermon series called Pop Music or Poems of Praise, and the very first one was Mary's pop song. It was called the Magnificat or My Soul Magnifies the Lord. <clears throat> Zechariah's pop song was called the Benedictus or for Benedictus this Israel or blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Last week we talked about the angels chorus and today we have Simeon's song. And Simeon's song was this, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now his song in Latin is called Nunc Dimittis, which is uh, depart in peace. And as I'm reading through this passage and preparing for this message, uh, I think Luke was very intentional uh, in, in including not only one voice but two of them on this fateful day in the temple. He included Simeon's voice, and he included Anna's voice. See, just as we had previously Mary's song and Zechariah's song together, we also have Anna's song and Simeon's song. They're both proclaiming the birth of the Messiah, a sister and a brother in faith announcing that, the, that salvation had come. This is a, a message that's intended for everybody, for Jew, Gentile, slave, free, man, and woman. So Luke didn't necessarily include her specific words, but he absolutely intentionally included her intent, which was to proclaim that the Redeemer had come. Luke intentionally included both voices. And I want to turn to the context that he provides here, Luke provides, in chapter 2, verse 21 to 24, and he says, at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. In verse 22, it says, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it's written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. Basically, what Luke is doing right now, he's, he's making no assumptions whatsoever about who his readers are or their understanding or knowledge of Jewish culture, Jewish tradition. So by including this initial description of that day in the temple, Luke is making sure that everyone who reads or hears this message understands what's happening, which honestly, I think is a, it's a nice thing that he's doing. He's explaining to the readers that both Joe and Mary, they are a devout Jewish couple. They're following the traditions and the customs that were expected of any Jewish couple with a brand new child, making sure Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day as is written in the law, making sure that they came to the temple at the right time to give the right purification offerings for Mary as is written. Luke is explaining here that Joe and Mary, they are taking the poor family option when it comes to the sacrifice, which was the, the pigeons instead of lambs as is written. See, Luke is wanting people who are hearing this story to understand the what 
that's happening, and he wants them to understand the why it's happening. He wants to give them the context. I love that. And Luke also, he goes on to provide his readers an understanding that this is not some mythological story either about the Messiah. Luke is reporting back what he learned by talking to eyewitnesses, what he learned by talking to those who knew the full story. In the start of Luke chapter 1, this is how it starts off. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Luke had taken the time, he took the time, he took the effort to inform his reader of what he's found in his careful investigation of Jesus' entire life. See, he, didn't, he did not limit his writings uh, uh, of Jesus' earthly ministry just to his time uh, when he was preaching and teaching and healing or, or the resurrection. No, Luke went back went back to the origin story of Jesus as well. He talked to the people who, who would have seen, heard, who would have witnessed all of it. Maybe, maybe he was able to find the shepherds, you know, the, the ones that were originally showing up because they were still talking about it. They were still amazed by the miracle and still proclaiming it. Maybe, maybe he talked to the priests that were in the temple when Jesus was brought to be consecrated because it's just such an amazing thing, the proclamation from Simeon and from Anna. Luke wanted the reader to understand, to fully comprehend that the miraculous really did happen, that the Messiah really did show up as a baby, something no one expected, but that God had always intended to do. And then today's story, Luke is introducing two new characters, two new characters to Jesus' origin story. We have Simeon and we have Anna. Now, Simeon uh, is written, was righteous and devout. I'm not sure if Simeon was a priest. I don't think he was, but uh, I think it was just a really devout Jewish person. And he was waiting for the consolation, or he was waiting for the, the comfort of Israel. In other words, he was, he was devoted to, to seeking out and to recognizing God's plan for redemption for Israel. He, he was so dedicated to, to looking for this and paying attention for this that God promised to keep him around to keep him around until the Messiah showed up. If you think about it, it's such an amazing and intense honor to to get that promise from God. Suzette and I, we have been praying for and waiting for her parents to come to know and love Jesus. Ever since she became a Christian back in 2001, we've been praying for that, but it hasn't, has not happened. So we keep praying. It's an even greater struggle right now because they live in Singapore, and so we're separated from her very large distance. Now, if God were to come to us and say, hey, good and faithful service, I'm not only going to say yes to your prayer request, but I'm going to make sure that you're there when it happens. That would be so awesome. And that's basically what Simeon's been promised, that the Messiah, the one Israel has been waiting for for over 400 years, is going to show up not only in his lifetime, but is going to be witnessed by him. He's going to meet the Christ in person. I mean, for me personally, I think that would have probably made it a little bit easier for me to continue being devout. Maybe. I'm not sure. But then on the other side, you have Anna. 
Anna, in verses 36 and 37, this is what it reads. It says, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer, night and day. And you read this and you realize Anna was at a whole other level. Anna was married for seven years, which means that she was likely a widow at the age of 21 or 20, between 21 and 25 years old, right? And so, so widowed for over 60 years. And that entire time she spends in the temple. She spends every day worshiping God. She spends every day praying to the Father. She spends every day devoting herself to Scripture. There was no promise made to her that she would meet the Messiah. There was just a love for the Father in heaven that led her to that constant, consistent devotion. And I will say, honestly, I'm much more impressed with Anna than I am with Simeon, personally. It, her love for Yahweh, for Jesus, it was so unconditional. It was so unwavering. I'm not saying Simeon wasn't devout, because you know, that he was devout only because he had a promise made, because the promise of, to meet the Messiah, that was made because Simeon was a devout man. But I love seeing Anna's unending dedication to the I am. We have these two amazing devoted lovers of God. One that was led to the temple through the power of the Holy Spirit. The other always at the temple because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And both, both of them are about to become stars of the original nativity pageant. So I want to look at Simeon's reaction to meeting the Messiah. That was his pop song. That, and I'm going to read it once more. It's a beautiful song. It says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Simeon can now depart in peace. He can now die. I think it was back in 2012, Disney announced that they were going to buy Star Wars. Of course, I didn't give a Star Wars analogy. But they were going to buy Star Wars and release a whole bunch of movies, the sequels, standalone movies. And I remember very specifically uh, reading that and thinking, and I told my wife this as well, I, I praying, God, I don't mean to be sacrilegious, uh, but would you please not come back until I get a chance to watch all of these movies. And I, and I also remember very much, so after the very last sequel came out, I know some people don't like it, but I don't care. After the last sequel came out, Suzanne and I went to the theater, theater. I think we were with our goddaughters, and, I can't, and we watched it, and I remember thinking, it's finished. It is done. <laughs> I can now depart in peace. The contentment in the confidence because of Christ, let's forget Star Wars, the knowledge that the promise of salvation guaranteed by our Savior, that is peace. That's the peace that the angels sang about and we talked about last week. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to his beloved. But see, there's another side to this story of peace that's really important and I, I, I think we have to focus on it for just a moment. You see it in verses 34 and 35, when Simeon shares a word with Mary. In verse 34, he says this, Behold, uh, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, 
and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will be piercing through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. See, Simeon's prophetic words, it points to the hard truth of Christmas. And I mentioned last week that the pathway to peace that God provides for us, is, it is unexpected but was always intended by God that a baby born and placed in a manger would one day die so that those who believe in Christ alone might be saved. The hard truth of Christmas is the what that we need to be saved from. The hard truth is that we need peace at all. Why the Son had come, the Son of God had come to become the Son of Man to die? The hard truth is that there's a darkness in this place, in this world, and Jesus is the light of the world, the only means out of that darkness. See, a little over uh, two weeks ago, I had surgery. It's a procedure called cervical laminectomy. Basically, for those of you who don't know, the surgeon opened up my spine from the back uh, of my neck, and he had to remove some excess bone that had grown there and was causing um, so much pressure on my spine that I had no more spinal fluid uh, in my spinal column. Spinal column. And I, uh, it was causing some intense and immense pain constantly on my left side. And so I actually got these uh, 16 staples just removed from my back, this past Thursday. If you want to see it, you can. This is my Christmas gift to myself. Uh, if you follow Suzette on Instagram, you got a chance to see the gruesome process. Uh, some of you looked at it way too often and way too gleefully. Um, I, 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 I joke that I was extremely, I am extremely motivated to stop seeing my doctor. I, no offense to the doctors who are listening or here. I am not a fan of hospitals or in general. I, and so I made myself, with the ever-present help of my wife, who was my spotter, my grab bar, everything, I made myself walk around the ward that I was in. I, I, basically, it was like the equivalent of 5, 10 miles just a couple hours after surgery. I just kept walking. I did my first PT appointment less than a week after my surgery. Because with all that, I wanted, I wanted to stop seeing medical people. But every once in a while, I just have to lay down. I have to, to rest. Because as Suzette would constantly remind me, my body has been severely traumatized. I need to give it a break. My surgeon had to traumatize my body to heal it. Sometimes it requires trauma to heal. John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20 tells the trauma that the Christmas story intends to heal. It says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. The hard truth of the Christmas story is that we need the story at all. The hard truth is that we need a Savior. We need the Messiah. Because we're sitting in the darkness. And the only way out of the darkness is to cling to the light of the world that's entered in as a baby. He entered in as a baby so that he might die as the only righteous man, as the only son of God and son of man simultaneously, that in his death we might be made perfect in the eyes of God, that we might have peace, so that we might be able to proclaim one day, just like Simeon did, nunc dimittis, I can now depart in peace. Lord, now, now you are letting your servant 
depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. There are two quick things I want to point out from this pop song, this poem of praise. The first is this, the word salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. And here's Simeon. He's, he's holding the baby Jesus. Maybe not as noisy as Amadeus, but he's holding that baby. And he's singing, my eyes have seen your salvation. He's, he's echoing passages from Isaiah. Isaiah 52 verse 10, it says, The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. In Isaiah chapter 56 verse 1, it says this, Keep justice, do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come, and my righteousness will be revealed. And if you look at the original Greek, Simeon isn't just proclaiming that Jesus is merely an agent of salvation. No, he's singing that salvation has become personified in the person, in this baby. He is literally holding salvation. He is literally holding the embodiment of grace. He's holding God because it is by faith alone, in Christ alone, that we can be saved. And that's the second point that I want to mention from this pop song, that all can be saved. My eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples. This opportunity of grace is made available to all people. Simeon emphasizes this even more by looking. He, he makes this proclamation of salvation to the Gentiles first. He says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And then he says, for glory to your people, Israel. See, the light of the world is not being limited to Jews alone. Jesus has come for all who will recognize his voice and proclaim him as king. The hard truth of Christmas is that we're in darkness. The promise of peace that this poem of praise provides is in the very person of Jesus. The trauma on the Savior allows all of those who proclaim Jesus to be the Son of God, it allows us to heal. I'm going to start wrapping up in just a moment. I want to look at the responses of the main players of this original nativity play. The first response I want to look at is Simeon's. And Simeon's response is to become a content person. Nunc dimittis. I can now die in peace because I now know the full glory of the, and joy of salvation. I've held it in my arms. I have, I have the ultimate shalom in my life. And so the question I have is, do you have that? Now, it wasn't anything Simeon did, by the way, to find this peace. It was, it was by the prompting and the guiding of the Holy Spirit in his life, something he submitted to. It was by the leading and the transformation of God within his heart that led him to this. That's the first response. The second response that I want to look at is Mary and Joseph's. In verse 33, it says, And his father and mother marveled, marveled at what was said about him, about Jesus. They were astonished. They, were, they stood in wonder. They were amazed. They were awed. They were agog, a new word. They hear this proclamation from Simeon. They're, Simeon is basically saying, good, good father. I can now die in peace because you fulfilled your promise. I am literally holding salvation personified in this baby 
in my hands, a baby that will be a light for the stranger, the foreigner, and that will bring glory to your beloved. The Messiah from the darkness is finally here. And, and they hear this. And Mary and Joseph, their response is not bewilderment. It is not confusion. It's not shaking their head and thinking, oh, crazy old man. No, it is awe. It is amazement. It is a realization that Jesus was, Jesus is, and Jesus forever will be something that the world never expected and will not understand, but that God always intended, the Savior. The last response I want to look at is Anna's, and I think it's the most beautiful one personally, because in verse 38 it says this, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna's response was to speak of the Christ. Her response was to speak to anyone who would hear her, who wanted to know what redemption looks like, to tell them of the Messiah that she had just met. See, Anna understood the hard truth of Christmas. She understood that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. She understood that the wages of sin is death, and she understood that this is a deserved result for everyone, for Jew and Gentile, for man and woman, for slave and free. Everyone deserves this result. But this baby, this baby who came to die so that I, so that we wouldn't have to, Anna met the Messiah and decided that the only thing that she could do was give thanks and tell everyone around her about him. See, the hard truth of Christmas is this, is that we are in darkness. And the promise of Christmas is the personification of salvation in the very person of Christ, of Jesus. The inevitable trauma on our Savior, it allows all of those who proclaim Jesus Christ to be the Son of God, it allows us to heal. And our response shouldn't just be one of these three, it should be all of these three. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can cling to God's shalom, God's salam, his, his paz, his pyongwa, his herping. It's Chinese, I can't say it very well. But anyway, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can cling to God's peace. And by the grace of God, we can marvel at the wonder of our Messiah. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can rejoice and we can share the truth of the good news to all who will hear us. This is my prayer. This is my call to each of you, my sisters and brothers, my beloved family, as we prepare for a new year. Thank you for tuning in to this week's COTB Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit our website at cotb.life. God bless and have a great week.